Welcome back to Tell Me More. Uh, my name is Joshua Soloway, and I'm so glad that uh, you're joining me today. Coming up is a conversation with my friend, Josh Willis. He has a great first name. What we're about to talk about can be a very sensitive conversation because he's a white guy that moved to a predominantly black neighborhood four years ago. And I just have this stirring in my heart. I want to hear from more people that don't have blue check marks, who don't represent a media company. They're just a person trying to do something. And uh, just as a fellow human, when I think about Josh and his wife, Molly, their story, they're just humans that moved to a neighborhood because they wanted to be neighbors. And that's kind of it. Uh, there's there's nothing super sexy or flashy about it. They're just living life. And I wanted to just hear about what his last four years has looked like. And so as you listen, the conversation is going to bounce around um, to a lot of different areas. I won't claim that this is the most organized conversation, but I would just ask, have endurance, man. Listen to the whole thing. I think it's really good, and I hope it encourages you. And if, hey, listen, if there's any place where two white guys talking about a conversation sound insensitive or if we ever come across as accidentally arrogant or assume to know things that we don't know anything about, um, I'm sorry on the front end because that was not the posture of our heart at all. And so um, we just asked for, uh, for grace and forgiveness for anywhere where we sounded a way we did not intend to. So there's a long preface. Welcome back to Tell Me More. Thanks for listening. Josh, so glad that you're able to be here, man. And we were talking before we pressed the record button, and I learned it's your four-year anniversary. So four years ago, almost to the exact day, you signed, you closed on the house that you currently live in, which we'll get into. Um, it's, a, it's an awesome part of your story. But first of all, thanks for being here, man. Dude, honored to be here. Excited to share some of my journey. Yeah, me too, man. I'm, I'm excited to listen. And um, before we get into your, you and Molly, your wife, your guys's decision to move to a neighborhood that was 90% black, just to be a neighbor, just to be a person there. That's, that stuff is going to be kind of the, the, the main things we're talking about. But before yep. we get there, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, yeah, how'd you sure. get to Nashville, all, all the stuff. So I grew up in Spring, Texas. It's a suburb of North Houston, youngest of four, um, a pretty traditional, conservative, white Christian family. Things were great in Texas. I loved it. Grew up public school system that I really loved. Decided to be a pharmacist, so I came to Nashville for school. Dropped that in about a month, and uh, switched my major to theology and ministry. And uh, haven't looked back, man. So I've lived in Nashville now since 2008, 12 years, and uh, that's where I'm at. I'm married to Molly. We've been married for almost seven years. We've got a nine-month-old daughter, and uh, loving life right now. I can't believe you're a dad. It's pretty nuts. Yeah, it's wild. Okay, so you moved to Nashville. You do the whole go to college, get married thing. Aw, it's all it's all going great. <laughs> and at some point, I think it was around five years ago, yep. you and Molly, you guys just start thinking about moving yeah. to a neighborhood that's surrounded by people that don't look like you. What how does one come upon that thought process and, and like just tell us about how, how did that work? How did yeah. that happen? We were convicted a little over five years ago that man, most of our friends look like us. They're pretty Christian, pretty white pretty conservative, I would say. And we just knew that we weren't getting a full picture of life. We were reading things, learning things, and just realizing we did not have a full picture of what was going on in the world. And we follow a, a 
God that created a diverse creation. Like we are Christians as part of what I do as a job, as I'm a youth pastor. And I'm just realizing that diversity is beautiful, but our life looked very similar. And the only way to change that is to have friends that don't look like us. So we started praying, discerning, hey, where can we go? And we had some friends that had just recently moved into North Nashville, a community that none of their neighbors looked like them. And we were watching the conversations they were having, the people that they were hanging out with, how their life was growing. And we're like, man, we, we want part of that. We want to be invested in that. And so we tried to move into that neighborhood. We got our finances in order, all that stuff, figured out what we could buy. We looked for 10 months. And North Nashville, a place that you could have bought a house. So this was 2016. You could have bought a house in 2012 for about $50,000. And now they were well over $300,000. Okay. And okay. so there's a big jump there. And it's out of our price range. And we look for a long you're a time. You're pastor. You can't afford a $300,000 I know, house. man. It's, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, you got to get your money. I know, for real. So we're looking at different that, that houses. Was, hey, that was a joke. <laughs> Go ahead. We were looking at houses and just kept running into walls. Eventually found one house in a part of town I'd never heard of. Crazy. It's called Bordeaux. Got its name from a dentist, I believe, that was applying in the local post office 160 years ago now. I just found that out. But anyway, it's a neighborhood right across the Cumberland River from North Nashville. It's west geographically of East Nashville on the other side of 24. It's so close to downtown, but it is like completely not known to most white people, at least. How close to downtown? Uh, as a crow flies, about two miles. Okay. So if you picture LP Stadium or Nissan Stadium now, when there's a concert there, we hear the music at night. We okay. hear the fireworks. You can see so all that stuff. So very close. Yeah. Very close. Absolutely. And so I, when I moved to Nashville, I was at a school in Green Hills, very affluent area. And it was a wonderful area. Everybody I knew knew different parts of Nashville. But for whatever reason, I never heard anything about Bordeaux. And so I didn't know about it. Found a house there. Started looking around the neighborhood and just discovering, wow, there are very few, if really any, white people in this neighborhood. Well, I want to pause real quick. I, I, I don't know this answer. I wonder how far Green Hills is from Nissan Stadium. Oh, definitely further than Bordeaux, like my house is. Yeah, that's kind of crazy because picture Green Hills, and yep. we're going to get into Bordeaux, yep. and we're going to help hopefully paint a picture there too because it's, wow, it's, it's sticking out to me that because Green Hills is this like, you know, when you think about Nashville growing and expanding and development. Yeah, Green Hills is like a, a clear example. So you For look sure. at all these stores, look at all these apartments yep. or the Gulch or whatever else. And so um, even I, over the last 12 years since I've been here, I've seen Green Hills dramatically transformed. Same, exact, yeah. exact same story. And I, I'm assuming that um, I'm probably safely assuming Bordeaux does not have the same story. Not at all, man. It has looked, so our house was built in the 70s. That's as with most of our neighborhood. And you know, most of the neighborhood looks like it's still there, like not a lot of development. You drive through our streets, there is a YMCA and a Kroger. Those are the two nicest things we've got. Everything else looks like it's been sitting there a long time and it's been neglected, forgotten about, just not on anybody's radar. And I'm just dumbfounded how close it is to downtown and literally surrounding it and everywhere else. There's tons of development. Yeah. And when you were telling me about an acronym is it Lulu? Well, Lulu. What, what Lulu. is that? I just found this out. And so a Lulu is a locally unwanted land use. Locally Bordeaux. unwanted land use. What does that mean? So when a pocket or a community has a lot of facilities that other communities don't want, but they get them anyway because they don't have the power or the resources to to fight back, to know about it even. A lot of these things are kind of done under the table. Okay. And so 
we have Nashville's landfill. It's closed now because it operated now, for a long time. Landfill is a cute word. Yeah. Let's just, just we all know, but what, what is a landfill? So landfill is where all of our trash went. So we have a, if you drive on Briley Parkway from 40 and you're going north, like you're going to the mall and Opry Mills or something like that, or heading to East Nashville, you will pass a giant mountain on your left. And you would think it's a natural mountain. It is really just our trash for generations was dumped there for so a long it's, time. it's not the Smokies. No, it's not. And so it is a, we dumped our trash there. We have a water treatment plant. We've got a rock quarry that shakes my house multiple times a day. So you literally will feel a vibration all the time. That's something that residents are concerned about. We don't know anything about what we can do. They keep going further underground. It's a crazy thing. We've got a mulch recycling facility. It's a great service to the city, but where do you put it? Of course, you put it in the place where people don't have the power to fight back. It has some pretty terrible smells, things like that. There's other facilities as well. But just you don't find those in like the quote unquote nicer part of towns. When people have money, when people have power, when people have influence, they decide to send those away from them and it ends up in the lap of somebody who doesn't want it. That's a Lulu. And which comes first, the Lulu or the people that live there? I'm assuming the people, people were already that live there. there. Absolutely. And then it's like, yeah. hey, I know this is your neighborhood. You know, I love this area for you, but um I gotta we gotta we gotta <laughs> deal with my trash. We gotta like, throw yeah. all of our trash, and, yeah. and it's not a laughing matter. But I just yeah. the, the idea is so absurd. Right? Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's the story of the world, unfortunately. Okay, so now let's get more on the ground. Yeah, you and Molly. Yep. Happy four years. You yeah. moved to Bordeaux, and just start talking about what it was like to move into Bordeaux. Well, first, we have been so welcomed by our neighbors. I don't know what I was expecting. I was fully aware that I was a young white guy moving into a neighborhood of people that did not look like me, many of which who are older than me. And we're just wondering, like, what are people going to think? Like, is this somebody that's just made a good investment? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to cash in on this house in a couple of years. or Because you had what? friends think that even your friends were like, hey, oh, that's a good investment. That's exactly. So the reaction you're moving to Bordeaux is where? And people who've lived in Nashville 30, 40 years or more, like, I've, not, I've never been there. Like, what is that? Or the reaction is, oh, is that like a good investment? Is like the next up and coming area? And I'm like, I don't know. That's not the goal in buying this house. The goal in buying this house is, hey, we want to get to know people who've experienced life through a different lens than we have. And man, we move next door to the greatest possible neighbor. It nuts. Literally, the first time I went and checked out the house, he was on, over the fence talking to me. Super social, welcoming guy. That sounds like a sitcom, like oh. over the fence, like conversations oh, yeah. between Wilson neighbors. For sure, man. <laughs> no, that's not his real name. That's um, from. Home Improvement. That's I, what think it was. Is, yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's it. his name. But anyway, dude, we talk every day. He is a mechanic, so he's and he's outdoors. He operates out of his um, driveway. Super social guy. Crazy story. Was a friend to me from before I bought our house. Just loving, generous. Grew up in a completely different scenario than I did. But dude has been so helpful for me. And so I've learned a lot just by conversations with him. His reactions to world events hearing his story, things like that. And through him, have met a lot of other neighbors. And for the most part, we have had nothing but people that have just been open and loving towards us. And it's been such a gift to get to know them, be invited in their stories. Yeah, and what you, I remember you telling me about, there was at least one neighbor who was a little skeptical of you. Yes. I, I think it was just political. They just, yes. <laughs> what well, was she worried about? Uh, I have one neighbor that I, is a sweet lady, but she was a, um, she definitely had a wall up against me for a long time. Just, I, you know, naturally, she her life had been affected, I'm sure, by people that look like me. And so she... I think the wall broke down one time because we'd go over pretty intentionally and try to talk to her when she's outside. And I think it broke down when there was a clear moment right after the 
2016 election was over and she was talking about her views and different things like that. And it became clear that I did not vote for Donald Trump. And that's when the wall broke down because there was a lot of assumptions about young, white, Christian, evangelical guy moves next door. Mm -hmm. You know, what does that mean? That's that's a stereotype, obviously. And um, when she found that out, her wall just kind of fell. And it was uh, something opened up in our relationship. And we she's probably the neighbor I'm not still the closest to out of immediate neighbors. But there was definitely a shift in the conversation at that moment. Sure. Tell me. Keep going into just meeting meeting neighbors and, and, and what are you learning about the community and yeah, just just keep going, Josh. Tell us more about the neighborhood. Dude, so we like I was saying, I I'm amazed how open people have been with us. We have gotten to know a lot of kids in our neighborhood. A lot of that is because we have a beautiful golden retriever named Wanda that we take on lots of walks. Shout out Wanda. And yes, dogs are so great. Specifically I'm a little partial to Goldens, but it is a fantastic opportunity to get to know people. As you're just walking around, people are friendly. In my neighborhood, people are outside. I don't know if that's, you know, I guess as an adult, I've only lived in a couple of neighborhoods, but it seems like there are more people outside in my neighborhood than the other neighborhoods that I've lived in. Yeah, I couldn't say that about mine. I, I don't see a lot of people outside. Yeah, people sitting on front porches, people talking. You know, a, a crazy thing in our neighborhood is that kids play outside. Like, you know, I know you don't hear that very much anymore in 2021 now. But it's a thing like kids are outside and they run up. They want to play with our dog. They want to talk to us. And we've just struck up friendships with, you know, elementary school kids, with their parents, with neighbors who are outside, lawn workers, different things, whatever it is. We've gotten to know people. And through that, we've just been invited into people's stories. Like my next door neighbor that I was telling you about earlier invited us to his family reunion was one of the sweetest gifts I never would have gotten outside of moving to where I moved. And so I was invited to a family reunion probably 60 or 70 people outside sharing food, hanging out for four or five hours, learning about different cultures, learning about different stories. My life, like my whole mind was just blown away by the way I was received from people up into their late 90s to infants. And Molly and I were the only white people there. And uh, we were the only non-family members there, which is pretty nuts. That's like the highest... That got like the highest honor, man. Oh, I'm it, not inviting non-family members to my family reunion. Exactly, I'm that's not pretty sure. awesome. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And it was so crazy how welcomed, how loved, how honored, um, how good we ate, all the different things like that. It was just a wonderful experience. And there's something you learn from people's stories, from different people's reactions that is priceless. You can't put that in a book, but when you live it, when you break bread, when you spend time with people. Um, it happens. Some of my best conversations happen with my neighbors either late at night, taking out the trash, doing different things. I'm amazed that it's like I'm not scheduling, hey, coffee with my neighbor across the street. It's literally we're taking out our trash or we're mowing our lawns or my neighbor wants to show me something about what he's doing on a car or whatever it is. Like natural moments for us just to get in each other's lives pop up all the time when you live around people that no matter who you're living around, if you're outside and you interact I don't just like pull into my garage when I come home. I don't have a garage. I park outside. Somebody's outside. We talk. That's just the way it happens. When I want to point out something that I think you're, you've been very intentional with, but for just the common person, because if I'm taking out the trash, if I'm going to grab mail, I've had a long day. Oh, for sure. I am running back to the house. If my neighbor, I'm the guy that when my neighbor pulls up, I'm like, oh, get inside. Like, I don't want to have a small talk right now. And so you're teaching me even right now, like take it just like being a neighbor is just walking out and if you see a neighbor to just say hello and and to have conversation. That's like the most obvious thing ever, but it's something that I can overlook. Yep. And to say I've learned a lot in that and I'm a pretty point A to point B person. Um, 
I live next door to a neighbor who is the most inviting person ever. And so he has broken me of that. Yeah, he's and teaching like, you he fights for, sure. for friendship. If he hasn't seen us in a couple of days, he will come and knock on our door and talk to us. Is um, this the same one that calls whenever you haven't, yes, you're not I, home when you're supposed to be? Yes. Neighbors look out <laughs> for each other. That is one thing I've learned in this neighborhood more so than any other place I've lived. If I'm out of town, it's known that I'm out of town because my neighbor, my next door neighbor will call me if he hasn't seen my car in a couple of days. Like, just crazy. Somebody cares that much and is that aware of what's going on when there's different conflicts happening happening in the neighborhood. A couple of weeks ago, we had people just walking through cars, checking unlocked doors, stuff like that. You know, whatever things are happening, neighbors talk about that. Neighbors look out for each other. If neighbors hear a noise, that happens. One time I was out of the country and I got a call from my alarm company saying my alarm was going off and I didn't know what to do about it. And then literally as I'm on the call with the alarm company, my neighbor calls in. He's like, hey, your alarm's going off. I know you're out of the country. What are you going to do? And he goes and checks out my house for me. And, you know, it was something super minor that wasn't even. Is this when the police showed up and he had a and he had, he had a house key. key and the police couldn't believe that my next door neighbor had a house key to my house. And um, which was shocking because that's what I've always done, like this friendships. But it was one of those moments that just like worlds were colliding in the policeman's mind. It was pretty wild. I love that. I love that you're. I just I love seeing this picture of like you guys are actually just friends and neighbors oh, and you 100%. trust each other with each other's things and which makes sense right yep. that's what neighbors do and so it's it's just really cool you're kind of restoring the term neighbor right now even for me well and it, what's crazy is that we weren't coming to trying to save anything we weren't coming to try to fix really anything we're coming to learn so we've come through this posture of like hey, the best way for us to get to know somebody is to sit and listen and to, to rub shoulders with somebody. Well, that's very clear. It sounds like you've been the student for the most part oh, of this. Yes. I have not offered much of anything. I have gained way more. And the perspectives, the stories have shaped me in dramatic ways. And so I've even think about my neighbor. Grew up, we grew up in completely different scenarios, right? So I grew up in a – and this is not – I think sometimes we get into the temptation of painting with really broad brushes about like this is everybody's story and this is not everybody's story this is my neighbor's story it's different than mine that I'm learning and so I grew up intact family with um, a lot of resources a lot of abilities to be able to do what I want to do and so my neighbor though grew up in a pretty challenging situation in poverty got involved in some things that he shouldn't have but it was a natural out for him you know he grew up in segregated schools which is pretty wild like he's in his 60s but that's a reality of Nashville that is crazy as well. He, right after high school sometime, got involved in a big drug bust and spent 20 years in prison. So lost 20 years of his life like that that still have ramifications on his life today. This is the spare key neighbor? Yes, absolutely. And he, you know, can't vote because I don't know all the ins and outs of that, but I know that's a reality of his story um, which is just shocking to me because he's somebody that I see as completely rehabilitated, somebody that is making a lot of his life, somebody that's overcome a far greater amount than I have. But just his stories, the way he views life, the way he does things, the way the challenges he has versus the challenges I have, we're just, we're just different, but we shape each other. And it's a huge gift to be able to learn from him. And I think about... Well, and well, I'm sorry. I, I know I just cut you off, but I want to... I want to dig deeper here, like that, because you're giving specific stories. And, mm-hmm. and one of the tensions that I felt in the cultural moment, if you will, is there's big, broad terms that yep. that are not new, but for some of us, we're seeing them a lot more, right? Mm-hmm. Like the common person is seeing words like systemic racism, yeah, right, and police brutality. Yep. Of course, none yep. of this is new at all. Yep. But in in a world where we only have 
we have shorter attention spans and we have 15 second stories on yep. Instagram. I think sometimes it can be unfair in how at least people like me going, okay, but, but get more specific. Um, like how, give me more like just like everyday stories. And so the story you just shared is a great example. What are some other stories? Like you talked about like the public school system. Yeah. Like, talk about like what COVID's looked like for, for some of the kids in your neighborhood. Oh, yeah. And just Nashville public schools are still just an anomaly to me. Um, even backing up, I've been I've substitute taught off and on just to get to know our school system. And so it's something that kind of really breaks my heart because I look at my story growing up in North Houston in a public school that everybody went to public school because it was a good system. It worked for the kids. It worked for the families. Like it, it just was a nice thing. Nashville's can't always say the same thing. Some schools are just like really strong and performing, but the majority of them are really struggling. And there's a variety of reasons about that. But I think when I look at the kids in my neighborhood, specifically since March of 2020, I'm just heartbroken by what they're getting um, and what they're not getting. Even thinking through, you know, many of us adapted it like COVID hit us like really hard, right? It hit everybody, but it's affecting the kids more than anybody else, I think. I think of my neighbors since, since March have pretty much been, some of them, not everybody, this is not everybody's story, like I said, but several I know of that have pretty much been on like a vacation since then. And I've tried to help them out with some of their online school. It's confusing. It's like they were given equipment, but they're given equipment and a couple of kids I know that they are taking care of their younger siblings there's no adults at home. It's like that's just not a learning environment that's conducive for a kid that's going to fall behind while trying to figure out all the different nuances of uh, being a self-starter in school, which is hard for any middle school student. Then if you add layers of complication like trying to take care of your young, younger siblings and stuff like that, it's just really challenging and it's heartbreaking to me to watch them go through that and that challenge that I don't feel like we're serving them in the best way possible. And I'm just wondering what the ramifications of that long term are. I'm nervous about that. Yeah, and you shared, I think you said four yeah. schools. What was that you told me? Yeah, so at the end of the 2019-2020 school year, Metro had a budget shortage. large part of that, like COVID complications that are real issues that we've got to deal with. And so one of the solutions was to shut down four schools. And three, maybe four, I know three for sure, of those schools that were shut down and kids are sent to other places are schools in like the Northwest area in Bordeaux. So that the school a half a mile from my house was shut down. And so now those kids get bused to different school systems. And it's just like, that's the kind of the story of like, when we talk about systemic injustice, systemic racism, systemic issues always affect the people without the voice, always affect the people without the power. And so because they, they literally cannot fight back. They, 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 the people more powerful than them are telling them how it's going to be. Absolutely. And that's, that's the, I think that's the story here. It's like, you know, there's probably other factors as well, but that's the pattern. It's like, who's it affect? And it affects those kids that aren't going to have the opportunities that other kids are going to have because it's, of that. It's one of those deals where even if someone who's more educated than us could talk through why those were the schools that shut down yeah. and probably get some really layered detailed that goes, yeah. oh, okay, that makes sense. But it seems like every time it's the pattern. someone has to, to the fall guy or the fall You have group. something your yeah. city doesn't want, this is where it goes. A school needs to shut down to meet budget. This is the school that shut down. That's kind of the way that things work that, that I've found. And I know we're bouncing <laughs> to our listeners. Thanks for listening as we just kind of bounce around. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're just reminding me of different stories you told me. So yeah. talk about we talked about the the kids in, in the school system, but talk yeah. about the kids and their involvement with you and Molly. And because I remember I, I came over yeah. to your house a couple of years ago, and there are a few kids who just came over to your house and walked inside. Yep. And 
it, it was just so clear. It was their home. Yeah. Um, and it, in the coolest way. I mean, it was just mm. very normal. And yep. I was like, oh, this is so sick. Like, you guys aren't just here. Like, they see you as like extended family oh, um, yeah. in, in the best way. Yeah. Um, and so talk about just those relationships with the kids and how they be your home. And yeah. Um, so there's probably three families and their friends that I would say their kids are pretty regulars, like in our front yard, especially during COVID. We haven't let, allowed them in our house. But before that, people would come in and hang out, play with our dog, you know, walk with Wanda. We'd have like a water balloon fight in the front yard. We'd play basketball, do whatever it was. But we just have like a good time because kids are naturally just like drawn to relationship. And it's just sweet to get to know them, get to know their families, learn their stories. I've learned a lot from these kids, different situations. Not everybody's story, but a couple of them, you know, have just remarked when they walk in our house. We live in a 1,600 square foot house, like most of the square footage in our neighborhood. Some of them walk in and like, man, this house is so big. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, what are you talking about? Like, it's not that big. Um, I get and perspective it is. But I think that there's I've been in a couple of those kids houses, getting to know parents, getting to know things and that they just deal with different realities than I do. Many of them multi family homes, lots of different people, people who aren't family living in there. I know of one specific house that is just like hurts my heart when I go into it. And not everybody's story in the neighborhood by any means, but it's this one family story. And you, you walk in and it's it's honestly something like I've seen in some third world countries. You know, it's like you walk in and there's 16 people living in a house meant for four or five. And it's cluttered. It's chaotic. And that kid's just born into that. Yeah. And, and OK, so right there, I think I'd like to say most of us are past this way of thinking. But I even think about me growing up. I heard it said like, well, they got themselves into that situation. Mm-hmm. They got to oh, climb yeah. out. And oh, yeah. You know, well, go get a job. Blah, blah, blah. Like really overgeneralizations. Yep. I, I don't hear, to be very honest, I don't hear any jargon like that anymore around in my communities. Yeah. But I know that still it's exists on some still level. Prevalent, yeah. So when you see a situation like that, since I know you so well, I know that the first thing that comes to your mind isn't, man, you guys really made a mess of this situation. Yeah. Your first thought is, oh, Nashville is still, or, or the United States is still kind of leaving the rubble of slavery. Oh, yes. Like it's way more recent than I think our brains give it credit for. So like, I guess, how do you think about those situations? Yeah. So we are 100% still living in the legacy of slavery. Choices made generations ago are, we're bearing the fruit of that. I mean, you're, I keep, I don't know his name or or we're keeping his name off the record, but the, the guy who has your spare house key went to segregated schools. Isn't that nuts? Like he's in his sixties, like not that long ago. It's shocking to me. Like, um, he was a kid during the Civil Rights Act and stuff like that. But those choices were made, and it took, I think, Brown versus Board of Education was 1954. But just to show you how this stuff works is that it took over 15 years for Nashville schools to truly desegregate. And then if you want to get really messy, look at when a bunch of private schools started. 1970s, early 1970s, no when way. our schools were forced to um, – that's a generalization as well because not all of them – but there's a bunch of them that that's the case. And it's it's pretty telling to show that that there are choices made generations ago that are still affecting families right now. And that's what's systemic about it. That's where the injustice happens is that people aren't getting the same opportunities. You're bo- it depends on what you look like, what family you're born into, all types of injustice. That is a glaringly obvious one. An analogy I like to think of that I've heard several times is like, you know, I, I was born on third base. Sometimes people think that they hit a triple to get there. And then uh, people in my neighborhood, not all of them, but some of their stories is like, hey, they weren't even born on a base. 
They weren't born with the sports equipment. They weren't born with the coach. They weren't born with even knowing that baseball was a sport. I know that's a crazy analogy, but to think like that's how different some of those situations are and that there are lack of opportunities or to to succeed, you have to jump over so many hurdles. Like thinking even about my neighbor who got involved in, you know, drugs is like he didn't have the resources, didn't have the support network um, that I did. And um, let's pause because that that support network. That's a that's a, a phrase that you and I immediately know what that means. Yeah. But just bullet points. What is a support network? Yeah, people around you, predominant amount of people around you flourishing that care about you as a person. And that kind of know about things. Yeah, they can that like teach you about want things. to invest in you, care about what you're gonna do with your life, show you those things. And I even look at some contemporarily in some of my neighborhood kids, it's like a lot of them, their parents are struggling to meet, make ends meet. So they're working multiple jobs, crazy hours. They have a lot on their shoulders that they're trying to battle through. And then a kid looks up to, you know, they're on YouTube all the time and like listen to the music that they listen to. It's like, hey, generalization for sure. But a lot of the stuff they share with us or want to play like on our Spotify accounts and stuff is deals with violence, deals with guns, deals with conquering women, stuff like that. And I want to be clear, you're not generalizing. You're, these are the kids that are in your house. Oh, like, yes. Yeah. I, like these are real kids, real faces. And I'm constantly asking the questions like, oh, so why why do you talk about that? I remember one of them was really excited about a cousin that got a new gun or something like that. And so this is an 11-year-old kid. So that raises a flag for me. I'm like, hey, what? You know, why are you excited about that? Like, Or the, the things that some of them see as status are totally different than the perceptions of the world that I had. And that's not because that there's something inherently like wrong with this kid. It's that that's unfortunately what he he sees as an opportunity for status, for power, for success, for safety, an opportunity to get out of the situation that he's in. Those opportunities were different than mine. And that's where I think systemically, not everybody's story, but a you know, a percentage. It's, At least in your neighborhood, yep, it seems absolutely. to be a, a running theme. And well, I even think about like financial literacy. You oh, talked yeah. about how your your neighbor oh, yeah. was wanting to purchase a van, I think is what it yeah. was. And and uh, the interest well, rate, what was that story? Well, one, also some of the nicest buildings, we have one really nice looking building is a payday loan type place that I'm sure just preys on people that don't don't have the access to financial literacy that other people do. And so does it, does it not feel like those should be illegal? Oh, 100%. It feels like they're the predators. Oh, 100%. Anyway. And so I think I talked to one of my neighbors who got a really nice new van, and uh, we were talking about it, and he was sharing some things about it, and he's very open about uh, finances, and he shared the interest rate. And I don't remember the figure now, but it's something that I would know never to pay. Like you're paying twice the amount oh, for the, my gosh. the vehicle it you should. It was absurd, and my heart just sank because it's like somebody worked you over. And that's not fair. That's not right. And that's the like there are there are real predators out in the world that prey upon the lack of equality. And, and that's just an example that really frustrates me. And that's that's common. That's unfair. Okay. So to, I want to I want to start transitioning us and sort of closing up this conversation. Thinking about Bordeaux. Thinking about your neighborhood over the past four years. Why are you thankful that you live there? Why are you thankful for your friends in Bordeaux? I'm getting a more diverse view of the world. That's not just from a book. It's not just anecdotal, not just a, a tagline. Like I'm getting friendship with wonderful people that have blessed my life. That is like the best thing. I've learned how to be a better neighbor, to take care of my neighbor, to, to look out for them, to know what's going on, um, to prioritize being inconvenienced. Um, like we were talking about even just going outside, like to prioritize people. Like it's been a wonderful gift. I'm learning from the kids that 
are so precious and so sweet and getting to watch them grow up like that's a gift so my life is richer yeah I've learned even I've been introduced to different foods learned how to cook in different ways I've learned you know there's other people who are followers many followers of Jesus in my community that have different interpretations on things and different ways of doing church that I'm learning from that's something that interests me obviously but I'm just learning a lot of different things that are only adding to my perspective of the world and adding to my enjoyment of life that I would not have gotten if I was just in the, doing the same normal thing that I normally did. Yeah, it's so cool. And, you know, one of the things on my mind, I I, I tend to want to be a problem solver, right? Okay, <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a problem. Sure. I'm going to fix it. And the hard part about something that is so large and, yep. and so big and has a lot of history behind it, yep. something like racism yep. or systemic racism or, you know, it's, it's going, okay, well, how do I fix it? It's like, yep. well, that's one, that's probably, the, <laughs> yeah. that's probably not the angle, right? Yep. It's how do I fix it? Yep. If you walk into any place going, I'm the fixer, you're, you're probably oh, yeah. already off on the wrong foot. Yep. So I guess just to the, the common person, what would be your encouragement be in the middle of, you know, the, the social media climate that where a lot of hashtags yeah. and a lot of things are being said that are, that are helpful and important, but probably leave some people going, oh, I want to do more than just engage on social media, I actually want to, with my feet, you know, do. And so what would you encourage the the common person who isn't a politician, um, isn't a a blue check mark on social media? How do they, what what would your encouragement be? First, I think what you said was key. This is at least in the United States over a 400 year old problem. So we're not going to fix it in our lifetime. I don't believe that we will. Fully. We can move further down the field and get better at it. And we can, in our pockets of communities, we can, we can improve things by learning. I think one of my favorite things about what I've learned, I think one of the most important things is to be incarnational, which is a Christian term. I was going to say, what is yeah. incarnation? So Christians claim this crazy belief that I think is good, um, that God became human, that God didn't you, just God didn't said, just stay. You said, I think it's good. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, I, obviously I think it's good. Um, so God became human to fully relate with our situation. And he didn't just do this like metaphorically. It wasn't just like a, you know, a quick thing, like literally was conceived, born, raised in a family, lived a life among humans. And what that teaches me is that if I claim to follow him, I'm going to as much as I can. If I see a problem in the world that bothers me, like something like racism or injustice or economic inequality, whatever it is, if it bothers me to the point, the best thing I can do about it, I believe is to immerse myself as fully into that situation as I can. Like not just, I mean, reading is good. I'm a student. I love to read. Listening to podcasts is great. Like that's a wonderful resource. The best thing you can do, I think, is to get to know somebody. Pay attention. Who's at your birthday parties? Whose feet are under your table? Who are you sharing meals with? Who are you doing life with? I think you get to know people and you ask them like their stories. Well, I want to, to be clear, the 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 I, I fully love the the Jesus comparison in regards yeah. to Jesus didn't just see brokenness and go man someone should do something he yeah for sure into it but so, where the yeah. comparison stops is you're not dealing with a savior complex oh you for sure yeah, right yeah. and so I just want to I know you know that but for anyone listening <laughs> I appreciate in zero percent zero percent where you going I'm gonna go be the rescuer yeah and so I I guess I would assume it's very important. That if you're going to move neighborhoods, if you're going to plug into an organization yeah. or a nonprofit, really being aware of what's your purpose, what what for what's sure. the know motive, who you are. And, and what's the agenda, like yep. because I, I don't know how far we get if there is some like 
not scheme, but in, yep. for lack of a better term, some like holy or righteous scheme behind yep. it. Like I'm going to go and in five years, I'm going to, res- I'm going to like, yep. I'll be the reason. Yeah. Does it make sense what I'm saying right now? 100%. And like, if you go with an agenda other than learning, it's going to, it's going to crumble and it's going to be sniffed out. Just being and a fellow I think, human. I think that hope, I think maybe like from living where we've lived for four years from doing what we're doing. And I think people realize that we don't have an agenda. Other than just like we really want to be neighbors. Well, I just want to name. Yeah, it's hard to do a podcast like this. Yeah, and not sound like there's. I just feel this is such a broken and fragile situation and yep. conversation to have, and it's really hard to. I, I feel like we're walking through a minefield. Like, oh, and yeah. I hope we don't give people the wrong impression of what's happening right now. Yeah, we are literally talking to a man who has a wife and a child and a dog who is a neighbor. That yep. is it. That's kind of the and only thing. And my life thing. is way better for it. And, and, and it's amazing. And, yeah. And he lives in a neighborhood yeah. and he has friends that are quickly becoming family given yep. that you're at the family reunion. Yeah. So um, that's it. It's it's really that simple. So for, for someone that goes, okay, I may not be in the financial spot or yeah. I may not be in the spot to move neighborhoods, what would you encourage them to do? So big picture, think if I was going to give a couple of takeaways, I would say, one, get a dog, <laughs> go outside. Or, you know, whatever that is in your context. How are you physically going to be around people? See a lot of good things on social media, but I don't see that produce a lot of fruit. I think face-to-face, in-person, in safe ways, obviously, in this environment, but, like, ways that you can get to know somebody and have a real relationship. That's probably the best thing. And I think a dog is an easy way to do that. That's why I say that. Get your news from varied sources. So don't just listen to the same group of people. You know, I didn't know that my neighborhood school half a mile away was closing down until after the fact. Because as much as I am involved in a situation in a community that I want to be involved in, I'm still an outsider on some of them. I'm still not, and so I'm learning to like, oh, I've got to listen to different voices, different things. I've made a lot of broad brushstrokes um, in this conversation, a lot of generalizations, just is the nature of the conversation. But just be aware of like generalizations are not true most of the time, like not fully true. There's always nuances. There's always differences. So be very cautious when doing that so that when you meet a real person, because a lot of those are going to shake when you like actually put a face on somebody. I think we said this earlier, but when there's something that tugs your heart, something that bothers you about the world, do as best you can to get involved in that situation in a meaningful way. Yeah. Get as close to that situation as you can. You know, the the one thing I want to point out is the longevity of, of yep. this entire conversation. You know, way back at the beginning of this, you said that when you started feeling compelled to move to North Nashville, you waited 10 months only to find out you wouldn't be able to afford it. And yeah. so what was started as I want to move to North Nashville um, ended up in Bordeaux, but that was a year in the making. And so to all of, to anyone listening, you know, pay attention to what's burning your heart. Um, and if, if systemic racism is a place where you're really passionate be in it for the long haul and don't take it slow, but be patient, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like oh, it, yeah. it's a long process. If you're going to actually get close to the situation and, and actually invest your life, plan on doing it for the next 50 years, not the next, you know, six months. Right? We need a whole lot more of that. Man. Right. It's it's easy to be passionate about something for a couple of weeks. If, can you invest your life in something? And that's where the good stuff is. Yeah. And um, yeah, perhaps the the media gets you stirred up for a couple of weeks and then they, they kind of... Uh, drop it by the wayside after a while mm-hmm. all right well josh thanks for being willing man to come and hang and and just share your story and uh thank you to everyone listening i hope if you're an average joe like me who's just going you know i may not personally be in power to change legislation or yeah or uh get ten thousand people together and, and have a big rally cry so what does someone like me do i think 
your life is a testament to just, man, what what can I do? What, what can I simply, what next step can I take? So yeah, I hope you were encouraged. Thanks for listening to Tell Me More. Thanks, Josh. Oh, thank you.